12 to 1 with Adrian Abraham on Money FM 89.3. It's Money FM 89.3, and you're on 12 to 1 with me, Adrian Abraham. And today, I'm joined by Selva Ganesha Murthy Balakrishnan. You know, what makes this young man so unique is that he decided to embark on a nine month long trip from Singapore to Montreal. But he did this without flying. Ganesha, welcome to Money FM. How are you? I'm good, and thank you for having me here. It's so good to, you know, have you on the show because I came across an article about you, and I said I definitely want to get you on the show to, you know, kind of tell your story. And you embarked on a nine-month long trip from Singapore to Montreal, as I mentioned earlier, without flying. You know, which sounds brave by any means. Now, what inspired you? Do you not come up with such an idea? Because it sounds ridiculous, to be fair. From a young age, I've been watching lots of travel shows. And in some of the travel shows that I've been watching, uh, the Singapore to London Overland Route was constantly featured. So it was a natural choice for me you know, to do a long-term travelling and to do this uh, overland journey from Singapore to Europe whenever I had the time, uh, which happened to come just after NS. But then I thought to myself, I'm going to Montreal to study. So why uh, stop arbitrarily in London? I can just extend it across the Atlantic and make it a no-flight challenge all the way to Montreal, my real destination. I guess we have to talk about the financial aspect of this whole trip. You managed to save up $10,000 you know, to make this trip really happen, limiting yourself to only $25 a day. Now, what was the thought process behind this strategy? The thought process behind this strategy was just to travel as cheaply as possible. So instead of uh, staying at hotels, stay at hostels, or even, you know, stay at the homes of locals for free, like couchsurfing.com, which is sort of like a free Airbnb. Hitchhike instead of paying for a bus or train. And yeah, eating street food instead of uh, going to restaurants. Now, what did you do to save up for this trip? Because $10,000 at your age, you were 20 when you you know, decided to go on this trip. What did you do to save up? I saved up money during my NS days, as well as uh, gave tuition. I was teaching English and French. And yeah, I also limited. I didn't go out often. I tried to do as many. I mean, I went out with my friends, but I made an effort to make sure that the activities that we did together were either cheap or free. You left home on November 30th in 2018 at the age of 20. And your route took you across 23 countries, three continents and an ocean. Now, what was your initial itinerary? I didn't really plan anything, to be honest. I mean, I had a rough idea of which route I'll be taking, which was, uh, you know, via Southeast Asia, China, Central Asia, Iran, and then Europe. But I didn't really know where I was going to exactly, which cities and countries I'll be passing through, or where should I be at which date. In fact, many times during the trip, I didn't even know where I was going to be five days later. $25 a day, as I mentioned, is not a lot of money, particularly when you're in a foreign country and, you know, you're trying to really make every dollar count. Let's start with the accommodation. What were some of the hacks that you used to survive? Do you have any anecdotes that you can share? So I used Couchsurfing mostly, which is an online hospitality uh, website. So how it works is sort of like Airbnb, but instead of paying for your accommodation, you stay with a local for free. And sometimes, you know, there are no strings attached. Other times you have to do something in exchange. Like there were some instances where my hosts were English teachers. So they wanted my help to, you know, teach and help the English students practice English. Staying with strangers has its ups and downs in Tajikistan. You were locked in your room by your host. Now, how did you manage to escape? And what was going through your mind at the time? 
So this incident is sort of funny. It's more funny than scary, I would say. So how it started out was that I stayed with this university student and he was really nice. I went out of his way to make me comfortable, cooked for me, shared with me his internet and stuff, which were very nice gestures. But I think he got jealous when I started chatting with a local on the Couchsurfing app, another local, and he felt like the other local was trying to steal me from him. Yeah, he was sort of the possessive host. So uh, yeah, what he did was he got... Uh, very jealous and he told me that no, I can't meet the other local. He locked his room door, pulled his mattress and placed it in front of the door and slept there so that, you know, I'll not be able to leave. And he also turned off his internet so I'll not be able to contact the outside world. How did I escape? It happened at around 7 to 8 p.m. in the evening. So what I did was I went to bed early and because I went to bed early, I woke up at around 2, 3 a.m. And, you know, my host sort of kidnapper was sleeping in front of the door. Very quietly, packed my bag, and then there was a window in the room. I just opened the window and jumped out. I just have a 68-liter backpack with me, which weighed about 20 kilograms. It was relatively easier than, you know, if I had a suitcase. Ganesha, having traveled to so many countries, what was the most interesting thing that you ate? The most interesting thing that I ate... I would say it's horse meat in Central Asia. I've never really had it. Now that you know I've tasted it, I would say that it tastes a bit like a horse. <laughs> I don't really know how to describe that meat. I mean, it's a tough meat, but I can't really compare it with anything else. And how was the horse prepared? Uh, just out of curiosity. It was raw, and I think they just seasoned it with a bit of uh, salt and pepper. Interesting. Horse <laughs> meat. Now, you have some very interesting tales about brushes with law enforcement, of course, having been brought up in Singapore. You know, you're very wary. You know, there was that one incident when you were sleeping at a bus station in Iran, and a group of policemen kicked you. You know, what do you remember for that night? I'm sure it was probably mistaken identity, as you know, I kind of read. But what do you remember from that night? So I arrived in town a day earlier than I had arranged with my couch surfing host. I didn't want to, you know, bother him, and I decided to, you know, go to his place on the day that was uh, that we planned beforehand. So I slept that night at a bus station in my sleeping bag, and just about a few minutes into my sleep, I was kicked by a group of policemen who mistook me for an Afghan refugee. So there are many Afghan refugees in Iran because Iran is a neighboring country and uh, there were wars and political turmoil in neighboring Afghanistan. So yeah, they mistook me for an Afghan uh, refugee and they kicked me. After that, they asked me in Farsi, Kojai, Kojain, uh, far, that was one of the few Farsi expressions I knew and that meant, where are you from? And I said, Singapore, and I whipped out my red passport and showed them the travel document. And the demeanor changed completely. They became very kind and they even invited me to sleep at their police post, which was air-conditioned. Very interesting how your fortunes just changed. But, you know, you had some other brushes with law enforcement along the way. You were involved in a scam in Thailand, if I remember correctly. So Thailand, I rented a motorcycle, had no idea how to ride one. Yeah, I crashed it maybe five times. When I returned it to the shop, she told me that I had to pay $1,000 for the damages. And I mean, yeah, there were damages, but definitely didn't cost $1,000. You know, I started bargaining with her and she reduced the price to $600, which I thought was a bit too much. And, you know, one of her cousins who was a policeman came and he threatened me. So in the end, you know, I just decided to pay her $600 to save myself, you know, from any potential trouble. So when you're faced with incidents like this where you have to shell 
sell out $600. And we talk about your initial budget of $10,000. $600 is a lot of money to lose at one go when you're on $25 a day. So how do you kind of, you know, make up for this money lost? I just uh, reduced my spending uh, for the rest of the trip, you know. Yeah, I imposed more austerity measures on myself. And also, you know, before I knew I had some buffer with budget, so I could lose about $1,000 before, you know, things would have become a bit more serious. So I understand that, you know, you tented in city parks and beaches and spent nights sleeping at train stations. You know, when tenting, what's your, you know, most memorable experience from this mission that you'd been on? I tented at an abandoned and crumbling part of the Great Wall. So, yeah, this part has not been maintained probably ever since it was erected. It was in the middle of winter, uh, mid-February, and the temperature was minus 20. But I sort of, you know, didn't realize how cold it was going to be until I reached the Great Wall of China and, you know, had already pitched my tent because I was really thirsty and I wanted to drink from my bottle of water. And when I opened it, I realized that my bottle had frozen through. We're in conversation with Selva Ganesha Murthy Balakrishnan, a.k.a. Ganesha. He's a young man who decided to embark on a nine-month-long trip from Singapore to Montreal without flying. You know, back to $25 a day, because I'm completely blown away by how you managed to, you know, survive on that amount for, you know, all those months. You know, how did you strategize yourself to make sure that, you know, you were still strong both mentally and physically? Physically, get all the right nutrients. So in terms of exercise, I was walking quite a lot. So I think, yeah, that aspect was sort of solved itself. And mentally preparing myself, I did have moments where, you know, I thought to myself, why am I doing this? I could just be at home, sleeping in my bed, in my air-conditioned room. And here I am standing by the side of a road, you know, asking drivers to give me a lift. But every time this uh, thought of giving up came to mind, another voice told me that I'm doing something very special. So I should just persevere, you know, and the end results will prove that it's worth with it. You know, every plan requires some sort of training. How did you prepare yourself for this journey? I mean, I understand you backpacked and hitchhiked across Western Europe for a month. I think this was when you were 18, if I'm not mistaken. How did this help you with your mission? So when I was in Western Europe, I didn't actually plan to hitchhike. I was forced to hitchhike because uh, I was robbed in Amsterdam, sort of lost almost everything. So yeah, and I needed to go to Brussels because that was where one of my friends was. And the only way to get there for free was by hitchhiking. And so that was my first uh, experience with hitchhiking. It was a pleasant one, a very interesting one, an adventurous one. And I've fallen in love with uh, hitchhiking ever since. Because I've fallen in love with it, I did it multiple other times, uh, not only in Western Europe, but during my other travels after that. Hitchhiking sort of became part and parcel of my way of traveling. And you say you're a big fan of hitchhiking. Yes. Were there, of course, moments where you must have gotten turned down multiple times on certain days? So, you know, how did you persevere through these moments? I told myself that these drivers didn't really owe me anything. If they were to reject me, it's their right. And I should just, you know, move on to the next driver. And if I get picked up, then it's lucky. And that really helped a lot. We briefly touched on this just a little bit earlier. Achieving this milestone is no easy feat. How did you push yourself through this journey, knowing that at times, you know, you were frustrated, you were probably not sleeping at the places you wanted to, you slept rough on a couple of nights. You know, how did you manage to convince yourself that you were going to, you know, get through this? Whenever I face challenges, I just told myself, uh, like, you know, you've already come all the way here. You've already spent this amount of time on the road. If you were to give up now, then all the time you spent on the road, all the 
challenges that you faced thus far will just go to waste. So just persevere and, you know, continue. So nine months on the road, I'm sure you had to do your laundry multiple times. I mean, you only had your backpack, as you were telling me. How did you manage to wash your clothes? So um, in many places, it was quite cheap to do laundry. But I also have to admit that I wasn't the most hygienic person while on the road. There was a time where I wore the same shirt for a month. Oh, wow. Yeah, but no worries. Like these days, I'm super hygienic and stuff. You know, for someone listening who, you know, wants to take on this challenge and do something that, you know, you've done, what advice would you give to them? Don't be too fixated on a plan because, you know, when you plan something and you, you know, and that's the only thing and you stick to it, what happens is that you are only going to see things that you know exist. You're going to experience things that you expect to experience. But if you really want to experience something unexpected, if you want to see something you've never ever seen before or you never know existed, then just go with the flow. Go without a plan uh, once when you've touched down in your destination. Ask the locals, you know, what's nice in the area. Stay with the locals because many things in this day and age, despite the internet, are only known through word of mouth. Having done something like this, I'm sure you have many highlights and takeaways, but if you could just you know, share a few with us about what you remember best from this trip. The thing that I remember best is the faith in humanity. I think that, you know, we tend to think that a lot of people out there are planning to, you know, kidnap or murder us. But what I've experienced is the total opposite. I've met people who owed me nothing. They invited me to their place, gave me free rides, fed me for free. And so what I want to tell out to people is that, you know, there's still nice people out there. And um, to not give up this faith in humanity that, you know, these days seem a bit rare because it still exists out there. You've not only captured these memories in your head, but you've also written a book about it. Can you share something more about that? I was planning to... So it was during the trip that, you know, the idea of writing a book came to mind. But after my trip, uh, when I moved to Montreal, I sort of, you know, gave up on that plan because Montreal was a new environment. I had to cope with studies, settling within a new city. Thankfully, (laughs) COVID happened. So all of a sudden, I had lots of time to, you know, to do my own things because I was cooped up in my apartment, couldn't leave. And yeah, it was during this period that I wrote my book, a large chunk of my book. And yeah, and now it's available on Amazon. The book is called The Long Direction Flightless Journey from Singapore to Canada. Seven months into your trip, you were in Turkey and quickly hitchhiked your way through Europe. And in Germany, you managed to take a cargo ship to sail across the Atlantic What was that like? It was a very interesting experience for the first two days. It was an 11-day journey. And then after that, it sort of became boring because, you know, (laughs) I couldn't do much on board. Yeah. So how did I book this uh, cargo ship? I sent out emails to many uh, shipping companies and uh, some of them replied. And one of them had a ship that, you know, sailed, uh, that had a sailing schedule that fitted into my timetable. And so, yeah, I booked it through them. So, yeah, I mean, the cargo ship experience, yes, it was a unique experience because I got to talk with the crew. Many of them have been away for about eight months at a time. Yeah, and I got to see, you know, a part of globalization that's often overlooked because, you know, cargo shipping is such an integral part of globalization. And when you finally got to Montreal and when everything, you know, hit you, that you'd achieved something that's probably never been done before. How did you feel during this time, knowing that, you know, you pushed yourself through all these hardships, you slept rough, you had your brushes with the law, you got scammed, you got locked in a room. After all of this, how did you feel at the end of this journey? 
I felt accomplished, relief. Finally, I have a bed and a room that I can finally call mine. Yeah, and relief that, you know, I don't need to sleep on the streets anymore or, you know, hitchhike, stand by the side of the road, and, you know, trying to get drivers to give me a lift. But I also felt a bit sad that the adventure of a lifetime sort of came to an end. Now, we're currently going through a pandemic, so all travel plans are on hold. Now, do you have something equally crazy and impossible in mind when everything returns to some sort of normal? I plan to return to Singapore after I finish my studies by land and sea, but this time uh, westward, so via the continental US and the west coast, Pacific and then mainland Asia perhaps on a bicycle this time around. But as I said earlier, you know, I don't really plan that much. So it's not really something that's certain. We've been speaking to Selva Ganesha Murthy Balakrishnan. He is a young man who decided to embark on a nine-month-long trip from Singapore to Montreal, and he did it without flying. Ganesha, thank you so much for joining me on Money FM. You can, of course, follow Ganesha the long direction on Instagram. He's documented his whole journey there. Or go check out his book. It's available on Amazon.com. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.